Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Father Son Packers podcast, your brand new source for Packers news, notes, and analysis. I am here, joined as always by my co-host, my dad, Matt. Dad, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Starting to do some Christmas prep. We made like multiple um, recipes today, and had little tastes of everything. Of course, um, but uh, taking advantage of uh, you know, kind of a rainy day in California to work inside. Um, so the house smelled good. Kind of relaxing. Um, tomorrow's yeah. going to be a relaxing day. Oh, yeah. No, As the free. holidays roll into town, we get the blessing of a Packers bye week. And we get to take oh, a week off from having to pull our hair out about this team every week. But with this bye week, we decided to, instead of our usual two podcasts a week, we normally do a pregame and a postgame. We post about when we have those podcasts all the time on our Twitter, at FatherSonPacker. Come give us a follow. Instead of that this week, though, we decided to do one big podcast talking a little bit about how the year had gone so far, what's left coming up through this year, what do the Packers have to look forward to, what's on our holiday wish list of things we want to see. And we're going to break all of that down for you here. It's going to be a nice easy relaxing sunday of watching non-packers football i am not gonna have any conniptions or start <laughs> screaming at my television because of the packers it's great it's gonna be great it's great i love it but anyway dad i so think how many straight the- hours of red zone do you plan on watching tomorrow seven hours of commercial free football as scott <laughs> hansen says but anyway, I don't know if that's trademark. We might need to cut that. Uh, oh. <laughs> but anyway, we have a lot to talk about with the Packers. The season hasn't gone exactly as anyone would hope. They are 5-8 and eight going into their bye week here in week 14. They're not entirely dead yet, though, which I think we need to preface everything we're going to say today with the fact that they could still technically make the playoffs. It's a very low probability. Depends where you look. It's anywhere between 6 and 10%, I would say. But, Dad, you've actually looked at all of these scenarios. So let's preface everything we're going to say here today with their still not quite gone playoff scenarios you've been taking a look at this what do you got yep i have been grinding through various um nfl playoff predictors and lots of different uh outcomes and game picks to see you know what would have to happen for the packers to win and then i started looking through some of the tie-breaking rules and whatever else is doing so i guess we should first say q jim mora Playoffs? You kidding me? You want to talk playoffs? Playoffs? playoffs. playoffs. And the answer playoffs. is yes. I want to talk playoffs because it's the Christmas season. We're looking for a miracle. We are looking for a miracle. <laughs> that that's one hundred percent. So so today's episode, at least this first part that I want to talk about, is how much of a miracle would it take for the Packers to make the playoffs? So right now, their only chance is a wild card spot. So yeah. I'm concentrating on. What has to happen for different teams to make it into the wild card? And so there are essentially nine teams fighting for three playoffs um, spots. It, and so not not including the current division leaders, you've got the Cowboys first, then the Giants, Seahawks. So those are the three who are currently in playoff position, followed by the Commanders, 7-5-1, Lions 5-7, and seven, Falcons and Packers 5-8, and eight, and Cardinals and Panthers, four and eight. So, what what I want to look at first is what do the Packers have under their own control? So all of this yeah. is starting with the Packers have to win out. They have to. So they what have to happens win their next four games? They got if do they it. run if they run the table four straight games and make it to nine and eight for the season. 
If they do that, the tiebreaker situation puts them, eliminates four of the teams that they're competing with. They'll mm-hmm. finish ahead of the Lions because they'll beat them, and then they'll own one of the tiebreakers with them. Uh, it's like strength of victory. It's like the fourth tiebreaker, but they'll still own. They'll still win. Um, they'll finish ahead of the Falcons, the Cardinals, and the Panthers for various reasons, either like yeah. common opponents, um, no head-to-heads, common opponents, um, strength of victory, yeah. and or this a conference is all- record. And everything else going forward is assuming they win out, is assuming they beat the Rams, right. Dolphins, Vikings, and Lions the rest of the way. Because without that, it doesn't matter. They're probably not, they're, they're already probably not going to make it. They're almost know how entirely out if they 75 lose things games. would have to happen for them to, I mean, maybe it's not even possible for them to go in at eight nine. So we're thinking about, they have to win out. Yes, what do they achieve one. by winning out? And then what else needs to happen? After they win out, I think a lot of so the, you said it, they're ahead of four teams if they win out. What else needs to happen then? So it's, right. it's so not the, as much the, as you think. It's really not. No, when you hear the percentages, it sounds crazy low. But a lot of that, I think, is it's a crazy low percentage that they win all their games. But at least, yeah, you, how you like to have control of your own destiny. So part of their destiny they have control, of, but not completely. So they get ahead of those four teams, and now we're left with including the Packers, five teams fighting for three spots. And the yes, Cowboys have such a big lead. Three spots. I was just about to say, I think the Cowboys have and that, the Cowboys, fifth, that, that number, number one spot that's, They have one spot locked up, whether it's number one or yes. not. It, um, is irrelevant for the Packers. And so then it's four teams fighting for two spots. That's the yeah. Giants, the Seahawks, the Commanders, and the Packers. So for the Packers, what help do they need? They need to finish ahead of two of the three teams, Seahawks, at least two of the three teams out of the Seahawks, Commanders, and Giants. Yeah. To get to up to the seventh seed so they in the in the conference to make the playoffs and as a week in by the skin of their teeth. But yeah. they and are there's some a bit things lucky. that are not so crazy. I mean, in some ways I think it actually helped them a little bit. That the commanders and the Giants tied. Especially because, because they need they to have finish to, ahead of two of these three teams. If they have to finish ahead of two, it opens the door to finish ahead of both of them. Which that, isn't impossible, but they do play each other we, again this coming next week. Right. So here's here's what we here's what we have to do. Um just at large. Two of these three things need to happen for the Packers to make the playoffs if they win out first. Seahawks need to lose four or five, or they need to lose three games with two of those losses being in the NFC. The Giants need to lose four or five, and or, you know, Washington needs to lose three or four. So two of those three group things need to happen. So let's look at the games and how likely any of any one of those is. So the Seahawks, they play the Panthers, the 49ers, at the Chiefs, the Jets, and the Rams. So likely losses. Probably, you say, Niners and at the Chiefs. Then they need to lose two of the other three. The Jets are probably, you know, a decent chance for a loss. So they would need you know, one more upset to either the Rams or the Panthers um, for, for them to be behind the Packers. The Giants games, they got a tough schedule. They play the Eagles. Then they play at the Commanders. Then they play at the Vikings, the Colts, 
and then at the Eagles. So they have you know likely three losses already from that. That Giants twice to end the... of season schedule is brutal. Is that is brutal. And let's not forget that they're playing the Commanders, and the Commanders played them, had a bye, and now are playing them again, which is so tough for the Giants. <laughs> yep. So, um, so the Giants are likely going to lose you know three just to the Eagles and on the road to the Vikings, and a pretty decent chance that they are going to lose at the Commanders. If they don't lose that one then they would need to, you know, the Packers would need them to get upset by the Colts. But anyway, there's a very realistic chance, probably maybe more than 50%, that they lose four of their last five. That's probably the more likely scenario here, that they would actually end up at eight, eight, and one based on their schedule without any mm-hmm. crazy upset to happen. Now, and the so commanders, assuming that, with that being the most likely of those three to hit, now they're between either needing three or four losses for the Commanders or four of five losses for the Seattle, or three of five losses for Seattle at two in the NFC. Am I right? That's right. Okay. So, so then, so the, here's now look at the Commanders. They need one a of those more. things to happen. That's all they need, right? Right. So the Commanders games, yes, they would only need one more. So the Commanders, they're the Giants at the 49ers, Browns, and Cowboys. Also, not a cakewalk. So likely losses at the at the Niners and probably the Cowboys. Though so, you know. The Cowboys will be probably favored. Let's put it that way. And if and now, if they lose to the Giants in that matchup, then they're more likely to lose three or four. If they lose to the Giants, then they're likely to drop at the Niners and to the Cowboys, and they would be the one finishing behind. Or if they win, the only thing the Packers would need that would be less likely would be for them to lose to the Browns, which could still happen. So the loser of the Giants-Commanders game is most likely, but not certainly, going to be below Green Bay if the Green Bay wins out. And so the other two scenarios that get Green Bay in, depending on who won, is Washington losing to the Browns, or Giants to, or or the Giants losing to the Colts, if the Giants beat the Commanders, or the Seahawks either losing to. You know, the Niners, Rams, and Chiefs. Or, you know, like the Niners, Chiefs, Jets, and um, one other team. So there, there are a couple, yeah, couple ways that they could. It, se- it seems, yeah, honestly, so the more you break it down, that the help that they need from outside, I feel like is more likely to happen than what is actually under their right. control. Like, the hardest part of this certainly seems to be that game against Miami in Miami where they they need to win or it's done. And that seems like the right. biggest hurdle towards making the playoffs is that Miami game. I have totally, so they only I believe need, the like, rest of this to ha- could happen. That Miami game, I have a little bit more trouble believing. That's the biggest trouble because they only really need like two true upsets and then no, you know, unlikely wins by the teams they're competing with. So that'd be like the, the Giants losing to the Colts or Washington losing to the Browns. Or the Seahawks losing to one of the Rams or Panthers. Mm-hmm. All things you could so, see happening. Right. All because, things that you could see happening. And it almost you know, when makes you go you through think, it all... <laughs> I know. When you really look at it with some rose-colored glasses, you're like, wow, we're right, we're right in this thing, baby. Five and eight, we got them right where we want them. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so we wanted to essentially preface oh, yeah. this whole podcast it's all with coming, these scenarios. It's all coming together. It's all coming together. Um. <laughs> But anyway, we wanted to preface what we're talking about in this podcast with essentially the idea that they're not dead yet, 
But with all that said, we are going to do a little bit of an autopsy on the team and, so far and, this year, and yeah. we're going to do and a little other, bit of a wish thing list. about them not being dead yet. You know, people thought, oh well, have Jordan Love play the last four games because they're definitely going to be eliminated by the time they come back from the bye. So, no, they're not going to be. In fact, I think it's impossible for them to be eliminated after, after the bye. Week, whether yeah. on the bye. But here's the thing. Speaking of Jordan Love, the biggest thing that happened this week as we transition to the next part of this show is Brian Kudigunst had his scheduled press conference with the media during his during this bye week. I think he's done them during the bye week. Traditionally, he always has one in season during the year. This was not moved forward because of Rogers injury or anything else. But so this is pre-scheduled. And there are a lot of interesting tidbits in there. Some about Jordan Love, some about Aaron Rodgers, some about the defense. And I'm just going to quickly go over some of those here because I thought a lot of it was interesting and very insightful to how the person running the team views the team. I thought it was very interesting. And I want to start with Jordan Love. So they asked him, I think this is, this is where I want to start. They asked him if they, he feels that he needs to see any more of Jordan Love to make a decision on his fifth-year option, which we've talked about a lot during this uh, run of the show. That decision needs to be made this offseason. I found it very interesting that he doesn't think he needs to see any more of him. He said flat out that he's seen enough of him with uh, work with the ones in practice this year. He really emphasized that three years of seeing him work in practice and a lot of work with the ones as Rodgers has missed time in time in practice to, due to injury this year, that he feels That's really true. confident. He's- with, exactly. He's missed a the lot of time. The practice thing, he's getting a practice of the ones at least once a week ever since oh, yeah. Rodgers hurt his thumb. Exactly. Which is and so, more than he's been getting in the past ever. Yeah, and so Gudikins really like hammered that home. He said he was really pleased with the progression. Um, he feels really confident that Jordan Love can move the ball and score points in this league. He made a point of saying that it's it takes he feels that it takes young quarterbacks a long time to learn how to win in this league but he thinks that jordan love could be a starting quarterback right now and could move the ball and score points was how he put it so it seems to me based on all of this talk he talked a lot about how they feel they have two really good quarterbacks that it sounds like he is going to take they're going to take the fifth year option on jordan love and accept that over this offseason which they asked him also about the possibility of giving him that option and then trading him. And he kind of ducked the question and essentially said, that's hypotheticals. We'll wait till the off season to address all stuff like that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But so no concrete news, but I would say it definitely seemed like the tone was they want love back and they think that he is a valuable piece going forward, which makes you wonder where they stand with Aaron Rodgers because you can't have one without the other. You can't talk about one without the other. They are so, like, forever intertwined in their careers at this stage. And poor Rodgers, yeah. he was oh, asked what, a lot about this. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Can I just add one thing? So one thing I was, you know, thinking, they've been talking about, like, the culture of winning. And this reminded me, you know, and how much influence could have on the team's success later. That I think uh, maybe it was the 2018 season. They talked, and Rodgers talked about this after the fact of them getting like a late season win, and maybe it's over the Jets. I don't remember if it's the right. I forgot the right season, but he said that actually helped carry over into the next year for them to perform better. By you know, even though they got a worse draft pick, getting the win and winning together as a team was actually useful for team performance in the next season. Yeah, and Gutekunst really reiterated that idea that winning builds culture. 
and that they're going to go out there and essentially put out the team that they think is most likely to win every week. They're not going to try and lose. He especially mentioned that he felt that it was owed to the players in that locker room who are on the field to put them in the best, like the best position to win and that they had sacrificed a lot to essentially a lot for the team. And that was how the team could pay them back is to not go out there and have them waste their bodies, put their bodies on the line for nothing, essentially. For Rodgers, though, they asked him so many Rodgers questions, but the ju- the the gist of all that he said was that he wants him back. And he feels that they showed they showed that last offseason that they want him back going forward by making a very sizable commitment to him that he felt was very clearly a multi-year commitment. And he did noticeably say, though, that all of this discussion was something that they would uh, do and move forward with together was kind of the wording. Which I thought was kind of an yeah. interesting way of wording that. It almost makes me think that they're going to kind of try and restructure because otherwise, what are they trying to move forward with? It is a lot of lot on their cap going forward with his new contract. They did just give him last offseason. It'd be kind of interesting if they went and restructured it right away. But the way that he talked about how the mutualness of it is moving forward together on something, it almost makes me seem like they're going to want to do something with that contract because it is a bit prohibitive right now. Yes, and he has a option that's going to kick in early in the off season. That maybe that's something they could fiddle with to reduce his cap hit. I don't know if you, if if that's what you think he's talking about. That's yeah. one thing that they could be doing. I'm just but it certainly totally sounds like stuff up here. Pulling that out of Gutekunst, Gutekunst wants to move forward with both of these quarterbacks on the roster. That seems to be a priority for him. Maybe not at the numbers they're currently at, but it definitely seems like a priority. Beyond that, other specific players that were asked about was this, the big one was Bakhtiari. And he was asked essentially if it's worth the risk with Bakhtiari where any given day his knee might not be feeling up to playing. Now you have this appendectomy, although that's kind of that's just kind of terrible luck. And more about is it worth having a player who might not play each week at that given salary? And Gutka's response was pretty much, you know, left tackles don't grow on trees. Up until this appendectomy procedure, he had been playing really good football, which is true. He had been playing out of his mind recently when he's played. He cited the and fact I, that he played. He cited the fact that games? he played on. He cited the fact that he played on Sunday and then played again very quickly on Thursday as kind of a piece of evidence that his knee was getting better. He normally wouldn't have been able to do that earlier in the season. Um, he talked essentially just that. While Tom, he gave a shout out to Tom that, uh, Zach Tom, that he had played really well at left tackle under difficult circumstances. But it seems that they want Bakhtiari back. But he did mention that this was something that they would take a look at in the offseason, which also makes me think maybe they'll try and move some of that money around. There is a lot of difficulty in the cap coming. But I thought it was interesting. You said you were going to say something about Bakhtiari really quick? Oh, well, I just was wondering about like how many games in a row before this appendectomy. So essentially how many games in a row has his knee held up for him to play the snaps and to start and play? So that's yeah, one thing I, mean, I was wondering I should have looked up because it seems like his knee has actually been holding up pretty well lately. And yeah, when you look at it over the past uh, three games before the Chicago game, he had played 100% of all those snaps. The Detroit game, he only played 57%. Then the Buffalo game, he played 100%. But he had played three straight games of playing every single snap, which included a Thursday night game in there, so a short week, which is, you know, that's pretty big progress for him. But that's kind of what he had to say about Bakhtiari. For the last thing that they really talked about was the defense, because I think anyone would, everyone would agree that 
the defense has been really disappointing this year. And so they asked him a lot about, you know, what went wrong with the defense? Uh, where do you think the disconnects were? Uh, and I thought this was one of the more interesting answers in his pre- press conference. He said he thinks that it's a really talented defense, but that they need to come together. And I think most notably said, quote, it takes sacrifice on their part. And he overall feels that the consistency has been frustrating, but that he feels that there's been some growth over the last few weeks. But I just want to take a second to focus on the take sacrifice. Who do we think that that was directed at? Because that definitely is something that takes sacrifice on their part. Definitely sounds like it is pointedly aimed at certain members of this defense, whether it's the coaching staff or the players. It definitely seems pointed. Yes. So when you say take sacrifice, like, so you're talking about, you know, for the good of the team, um, something that's not good for you. So what does that mean? Does that mean people aren't aren't, uh, playing for the team success, but their own? Or does that mean people aren't putting in the extra work, whether the players or coaches? All, All we can do is speculate to, to be prepared. Exactly. So I'm speculating. But just, yeah. that, so I'm I just want to point out that that's I'm just out thinking there. about what the options are. Yeah. yeah. I just want to point that that is out there. There's clearly some conflict on the defensive side in the locker room that is readily apparent all the way up to the GM. So he knows that there are problems in that locker room right now. And right. I and think the other thing for seemed the- like that for a while, where, um, like, and some of that is you you, you see it through defensive performance and the fact that players don't all seem to be dialed in focused yeah undisciplined focus they don't care what the coach is saying i don't know yeah it's it's something like that but i think and the biggest thing was the final bit was they asked him essentially um does matt lafleur have final say over like does he have full autonomy over the coordinator positions and he essentially said yes this is going to be matt's decision on what to do with the coordinator spot and they'll support him with whichever way he goes all of that i think is the best summary i can give without getting too deep into the weeds of Gutekunst's press conference a lot interesting there a lot about jordan love and aaron Rodgers, um a lot about the defense and a lot about bakhtiari i thought all of that was really interesting to see the way that he viewed those positions going forward into the off season. Mm-hmm. However, speak there's we're not done with Jordan Love yet because the big news was that shortly after this press conference, I think on Friday, so we're recording here on Saturday. Yeah, so yesterday, Packers insider Jason Wildey said on an ESPN Milwaukee radio show, Homer and Tony, that he had actually spoken to Jordan Love and that while he doesn't think that Love would flat out say it, he thinks it's very clear that Love does not want to sit another year. And that if Rodgers is back, he will probably request a trade option or not. And I can't say that I blame him. Right. Isn't this, isn't that this the time frame where Rodgers started was after sitting for three years? Yes. It had been three years so for Rodgers, the... and then he, set, he started. And now it's been three years for Love. He doesn't want to go into his fourth year still on the bench. And I understand that. I mean, you don't want to... You're in this league because you're a competitor. Like, you want to start. You, you want to believe play. you should you don't start. Sit on the bench. You want to play. It's no fun just to practice and never get in the game. I don't think anyone who's ever played sports at any level thinks that that's fun. Thinks that they and, right. You 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 and you, you never get off. You don't get off the bench. You just sit there. Yeah, he's played one and three quarters games. Like he's he right. never gets to play. I don't blame him it, if he's not the starter next year that he wants to be somewhere else. But right. that's not what, what can you get from him? Probably two conditional mid round picks, like based on snaps, based on time played, maybe. I guess like, it depends on how much he plays for other people to see. Yeah. It'd be so if I he don't put know. some good tape up in these last four games, if he plays let's say he plays two good games at the end. Well like I said with Gutekunst, it doesn't seem like he's gonna play because they said many times they are gonna put out the team they think is most likely to win, 
And I think he's going to say that that's Rodgers. What if that means love? (laughs) I think the only way that happens is if Rodgers gets surgery. I think is the only way we see that. I think so. I don't think they'll ever just bench Rodgers. I think they'll say, you know what? You've taken all the hits. This thumb is screwed up. Time for IR. He doesn't doesn't want to get surgery, though. And I don't think they're going to go tell him to do that. Because he does not seem like he thinks he needs it. But they... Players could go on IR without needing surgery. But they're not going to put him on IR if he doesn't think he needs to be. Like, that's, I don't think that's going to happen. But anyway, that's kind of what's coming down the pipeline for the Packers. Big decisions at quarterback. And, you know, we're going to have so much to talk about on that front in another podcast. But we wanted to at least give a taste of what's coming forward as we kind of reach the Packers break point during this bye week for the 2022-2023 season. Let's talk a little bit about let's call it an autopsy. What went wrong with the Packers? Because I think going into this year, we all knew that there might be some struggles, losing Devontae, losing some other players, Billy Turner, having changes along the offensive line, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think we ever thought it would be quite so bad as this. It is interesting that the loss of a Billy Turner or Billy Turner-like player on the offensive line for the first half of the year, having a player like that would have how much of a well, difference? Well, let's start made. with the autopsy because I wanted to start with the offense, yep. and I think we both have a lot of notes on the offensive line. So let's start. What went wrong with this team on the offense? We're going to start with the offense. Yep, absolutely. So what, what went wrong with the offensive line? Because yeah, sure, I'll go first. Why not? I think they really got this. Is this is all hindsight? Obviously, twenty twenty. I think they really put themselves behind the eight ball with the early season offensive line rotations and lineups. I think it really screwed them. I know they started the season four and one, but they were not convincing and they were barely squeaking out these wins. I mean, they beat new England with Billy Zappi in an overtime. They barely beat Tampa 14 to 12 because Tampa fumbled twice, even though they didn't have any of their starting offensive weapons. They beat the bears, but who cares? They always beat the bears. It was the bears. It was the bears. And they got blown out by the Vikings. I really do think that this, along with possibly Rodgers' injury, was probably the single biggest thing for the offense early and is what really set up kind of a tough stretch of runs. Royce Newman got over 90% of snaps in every game from week one to week six. And I think looking back now, you can just see that Yikes. was a mistake. It was He was nowhere near the best option. It's very telling that he's not even the first guy off the bench now. They put Tom in for any position that needs to be filled. It's clear, I mean... Went from allowing two and a half sacks a game when he was starting to 1.3 sacks a game from week seven onward. And just making that change would have stopped so many headaches. I mean, I attribute it to coaching. I think it's really, I really attribute it to the coaching carousel that they had to deal with, with the offensive line coach and run game coordinator having to move move into offensive coordinator and deal with the fact that they have a new tight ends coach. They have all these new receivers. He's got to focus on everything else. And then I think Luke Buckkiss as the new offensive line coach, first time offensive line coach, like first time in charge of that room, that is not pulling the right strings. And then week seven comes and Stenovich has to come in and reorganize everything. And after it all got reorganized with putting Jenkins to guard and bringing Nyman in at tackle, it seems like that was kind of the obvious fix and that that should yep. have happened in week three, not in week six. And they let some of the winning in these really tight games that they probably should have lost. They let those wins kind of cloud the fact that, hey, there are easy improvements we can make on good. the offensive line. And it's part of can the I... reason that Rodgers got hurt. Yes, go. I know you have a lot on the offensive so, line as well. So I'll go on the offensive line too so, you know, before we go, you go on to the next thing. So I'll put in my offensive line notes as well. So 
I think, you know, as you said, a lot of the struggles for the season were the offense was kind of destroyed by how bad the line was. And it wasn't until they got their now healthy go-to line of Bakhtiari, Jenkins, Myers, Runyon, Nyman, that things have really started to come together. So per like pro football reference, you know, Newman's last start was the, was week six against the Jets. And then Tom started instead of Bakhtiari in week seven, and then instead of Jenkins against the Bills in week eight. The worst of all, of course, is week one where they had both Newman and Hanson starting. Yeah, that was tough. I mean, Hans- they didn't Hans- have a Hanson's- lot of, to be fair to them, they didn't have a lot of options. They could have played. They probably Tom. should have started Tom, but they've still got one of those guys out there. Hanson's pass blocking was fourteen point four PFF grade. Yeah, and Newman's is forty five point two. I don't care what so you think about their... PFF grades. There's no way you can twist a fourteen point four. Like that's nope. like PFF like grades are not de- always like the worst ever. <laughs> PFF grades are not always accurate. I have problems with them a lot of the times. I think they're an interesting data point, but Schnappy taking his gospel fourteen point four is putrid. No matter how you look at it, and you could watch the game yep. and agree it was really bad. I don't know what they so thought they, they saw there. Right, so they didn't really get their preferred O-line until week nine against the Lions. And that's when the but offense they, started yeah. moving the ball better, except for the three stupid INTs. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of look at the pass blocking grade for some of the players. So Hanson, we already talked about how bad his was. And, and really bad. So Newman's, for the Steelers, is 50.4. It's Compared not that much worse other... than the rest of the lines. It's, it's really not that much worse. It's worse, but... Oh, yeah. Well... The rest of them are low My, 60s. It's still bad. No, no. For pass blocking? Myers, pass blocking, okay, go 75.7. Runyon's pass blocking, 78.6. Tom's pass blocking, 76.3. Nyman's pass blocking, 78.8. Bakhtiari's pass blocking, 86.4. Now, Jenkins, nice his pass blocking for the season is only 66.1. However... Yeah, it's probably be- much better left guard. It's dragged huh? down by having only a 56 in right games tackle. two through seven at left tackle when he first came back. At right tackle. Since moving to, I'm um, sorry, right tackle. Um, since moving to, uh, and that was only like 64th, that, that level of pass blocking among tackles would be like 64th in the league. Since moving to um, left guard in weeks nine through 13, his pass blocking grade is a 76 which is 11th among all guards. So everybody else is, is in the like, mid to upper 70s, and then Bakhtiari is in the mid 80s at pass blocking. Once they were able to get you know Newman out of the lineup and pass blocking in the 50s. So yeah. th- that's how much it's actually, it was, how it much was of a bad. difference and it made to get their, because um, pass offensive line and is even a before, weak link. Well, even, even before they got their Unit. preferred. Just getting Newman off the field was yep. substantially better. Just having Tom right, in. Because Tom is a much better pass better. blocker than, than Newman. And it seemed and, and, like you watched all of... But we were, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We were talking about this all preseason, that Tom was better than Newman. And the games played out, and a professional football coach decided to put Newman out there, and then we switched to Tom, and Tom was better. Like, I... Yep. I don't understand why that decision was made, and I think it put them behind the eight ball early. I think sometimes they seem to be coaches are stubborn and go with the same guy. And the Packers, too especially long, too loyal. The Packers, especially, there's so many pieces of evidence. Amari Rogers at punt return, way too long. Royce Newman at guard, way too long. Joe Barry at defensive coordinator, way too long. <laughs> Savage Bo at Savage at safety. Mo Drayton at special teams coordinator. 
uh, it's just they they stick with guys, which like you know stick with your guys, but it's not working. It's not working. Beyond that, I think the lack of early impact at receiver from off season additions and just not having a good enough plan there, I think also was a big hindrance to this offense. Sammy Watkins, I don't know why they thought that they could get as much out of them as, as they needed. They put a lot of eggs in that basket and he had that one ninety three yard game against the Bears and the offense was good. When you have you know when you have good production from the receivers, the offense works. But beyond that, I mean he missed weeks three to six. You kind of should have seen that coming. He has a history of hamstring injuries and He's only getting older. He had just 19 yards per game on the season. Beyond that game with the Bears, he's slowly losing snaps. He had two nice blocks last week against the Bears, but that's you I brought him think... there to really contribute. They thought that they were going to get a lot out of him early in the season as the rookies got up to speed. And the time it doesn't really matter what he does from now to the end because they really needed his imp- like impact early in the year, and they should have known that this addition, as the only addition to this room that had any kind of experience that they were going to need to lean on early in the year, that wasn't going to be enough when you lost your two biggest pass catchers from the year before. And he's making all kinds of route mistakes as well. Yes, it's not even just that the physical is gone. Like, he's missing... Like, he's making rookie mistakes without the upside of the rookies. And I think they were really hit hard by the fact that we've seen recently when when the offense has Christian Watson, it's a lot better. And the fact that Christian Watson had to overcome off-season knee injuries, hamstring injuries, head injuries, all at the start of the year. I mean, Gutekunst, just to tie back to the press conference really quick again, he took time out of his presser to say the most impressive thing about Watson to him was the way that he bounced back from three different injuries to start a uh, rookie year and that most players would kind of kind of put their head down and focus on being ready for next year but that he was really impressed with his work effort and the fact that his quote desire to be great and the fact that he came back from knee like we said knee surgery head injuries and hamstring injuries and is now a borderline star in this league he said was really a big like essentially example of his character but the fact they didn't have him early was also really tough, I think was really what set them behind the eight ball early and that offense was bad. Cobb got hurt, but then again, he's old. He missed time last year. You should have expected that. He misses time every the, year now. I just think the whole offseason plan around the receiver really was detrimental to the team's success. Lazard, I don't think, played particularly well. They were going to lean a lot on him. For the season, he's catching just 60% of passes thrown to him, which is seventh worst on the team. He had games of 11 targets and five receptions against Tennessee, 10 targets with four catches against Detroit, nine targets with just four catches against the Jets, eight targets with just four catches against the Giants. They lost all those games. They they needed more than that, and they lost all those games. And so I think yeah. the plan at the receiver position was flawed. They asked Gutekunst a lot about it during his presser. He said, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I don't know. I don't know what the plan some was of it, at the time. Some of it, you needed foresight and not hindsight because what they were expecting was Lazard to be more than he had been. Yeah. And he's been about what he's always been. They so expected almost every player to outperform. They expected every player to outperform you, what they were because they wanted Rodgers to essentially elevate every player. This is what they expected. And, and you should have expected that Cobb and Watkins were going to miss a number of games each. I think yeah. one thing I've thought about this a little bit that the reason they chose Watkins compared to other receiving options who are out there is he is such a good run block, such a good blocker. He's yeah. he's one of the best. He's a better actual blocker by by 
grades than Lazard, who gets a lot of props all the time for blocking. And Watkins was a better blocker than that was last year as well when he was. And on I will the mention Ravens. that Lazard is also having the worst blocking season of his career. I think last time I checked per PFF. Yeah, and so that may be with uh, the you know added responsibilities of trying to be essentially the number one receiver that perhaps is, is causing his blocking to take to take a hit. And I had this you know, kind of as one of my things, mostly you know, the, kind of the poor connection with pass catchers, where people are. With the new experience in the offense, you know, Lazard and the rookies, Rodgers is looking for people in places they aren't, I think, and and unwilling to trust them with a contested catch. Like, I don't know if you can catch the ball when somebody's on you, at least until recently. We're now thrown to Watson. Just throw it up. Throw that boy up. Yep. Just throw that thing up. Just throw that ball up. What's going to call it? But the thing is, I think some of it's on Rodgers. My friends at Talk of the oh, Tundra really? yeah. GSPN Network have said, you talk all the time. You're all about winning. And you don't come to training camp. You d- or you don't come to OTAs. How can, you, how can the most important thing to you be winning and you're not coming to practices that will help you win? I, I, it, doesn't, it does not track with the, the words. The actions you are taking don't track with the words you're saying. And I do think the last thing is... Rodgers' injury really screwed this team a little bit. Um, before the thumb injury against the Giants, 231 yards a game, eight touchdowns to three picks, 68% completion percentage, 95.8 passer rating, or uh, I think it's passer rating. After the thumb injury, 213 yards per game, so almost 20 less, 14 touchdowns to the six picks, uh, so substantially worse uh, touchdown interception ratio. Just a 62% completion percentage and a 90 passer rating. I mean, it's you can see it's everything is down. It's not as down as you might think, but just, you know, I think that thumb injury really did hurt a lot of the offense early and just com- it compounded with everything else to make just a terrible soup of na- of nastiness. Like, it's, it's awful. Yep, and I also had that about Roger's thumb, and that the fact that by the time the offensive line was coming together... Rogers' thumb was already broken, so we never got a game where Rogers was healthy and the offensive line was working intact. And they had the um, rookie, and they had Watson there to be like an actual number one, and, right? Because Watson speed was speed on the field, any speed on the field. Yep. Yeah. And, and then you yeah, had something like in interesting some ways, about Dylan. Dylan letting, yeah, but but I, I just want to make a little bit more about like this Rogers thing. I thought it was kind of similar in some ways to the injury he had in 2018, though that was to his knee. Um, leading to higher than normal off-target throws. In that case, I think it was poor platform. Well, this time I think it's about you know an inconsistent grip on the ball with a thumb injury. Yeah. Though that doesn't explain other things like three ints, some passes that never should have been thrown. It doesn't explain not making failing to pull the trigger across the field to yeah. open open receivers. So there are some thumb things or that not, have, you, you can't blame on physical yeah. problems. Thumb I or want not, to talk a little bad. bit about. Yeah. So, and then Dylan, I felt has also performed not up to expectations this year on they offense. were they were expecting him to be the second best offensive player on the team yes they they, they were expecting him to be the second best offensive player and so they disappointed a lot about these pony packages getting both keeping both running backs on the field as much as possible maybe by like splitting one of them wide or other things. so just for raw stats but um, wait can, can i just that... do a quick aside on the pony package sure i want to say i think the coaching staff let the team down a bit with not being creative enough creative enough with the pony package. They really only ever ran one play out of it. They never really did yeah. anything super dynamic with it. 
I think that the coaching, the offensive coaching staff there, that's a, that's a, I pin, you can be like, they failed at this. They failed to get their two best players on the field and make it work. Sorry. I hate to, sorry to interrupt yep. you. Go ahead. Go ahead with the no, rest of your stuff. So I think the, the big thing is for Dylan this year has actually been his receiving. So yeah. this year is averaging 48 yards, rushing yards per game. The last year was at 47.2, about the same. But then his, his receiving is down from... Um, they're just not to, even to having just, him on the field in these scenarios. Like, they're not even right. targeting yeah, him. Yeah, I, haven't, like, I didn't even look at the snap count. But he had tw- this year's only averaging 12.2 receiving yards a game. Last year was 18.4. So that's like, you know, a 30% decrease. And, and uh, fewer catches per game as well. So mm-hmm. last year, so for his running, he's actually still grading kind of similar. His, his football center still likes him as his ninth best this year as a running for his running and, ability. And he's and definitely last year turned he was eighth up, among running backs. He's definitely turned it get, up the last yeah, few weeks. Yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll get to that a little bit. Some of this is this is kind of interesting to look at the whole season. Um, and that and uh, per um, but per football outsiders as a receiving back, um. He's thirty. He was ninth best at running last year. Um, I'm sorry, at, at pass catching as a running back. This year he's thirty first. Yeah. You can't necessarily blame that on the offense of the whole because Jones, in the same time, was thirteenth last year and fifth this year. Well, he running they backs stopped. As a they receiver. stopped using him in those zones, and now they've gone back to using him a bit these past weeks, and it's worked. I don't know why they started just not playing him, and I understand that Jones is better. And part of it is you're having trouble getting them on the field together. But they just stopped putting Dylan in these scenarios. And then the past few weeks, yeah. they've done it, and it's worked pretty well. And so here's the other thing. So it's an interesting thing about this. You know, so I'm looking at this. It's like, yeah, he really is not comparing well to last year. Yeah. And then there's also this narrative, oh, we're getting to late season Dylan now. Um, that he gets better as the year goes on. He's having some good weeks now. That seemed, That might actually be a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I looked it's, at it last year. It seems like it might be real. Yeah. Last year, I compared the first half of the season to the last half. Last year, in weeks one through eight, he averaged 38 rushing yards a game and only 11 receiving yards per game. Um, so this year, and then, then last year in weeks nine through 18, he averaged 55 rushing yards a game and 25 receiving yards a game. So they both went way up late in the season. And so this year, in weeks one through eight again, 43 rushing yards a game and 11 receiving yards a game. So actually very similar to the first half of the year last year. His first half this year and first half last year. Um, and now, as we're into the second half in weeks 9 through 13, he's averaging 54 yards rushing per game and 14 yards receiving per game. So his rushing is kind of tracking with last year. Those receiving is still down a little bit. So some of it, like, does it seem like he's having a worse year because we expected him to be sort of second half Dylan all year long? And there was reason to think that opportunities opened up because of people who left the offense. And it was expected that he would get thrown the ball more instead of much less. Get more snaps um, on offense than he's been getting. Yeah. And that they I'd... not given him the opportunity. He's also just a lot of time not look very explosive, you know, and, and not mm-hmm. making big plays. It's, it's only weird, in the last some weeks. Had... Some weeks he looks, re- he looks like he's hitting the hole really hard, and others it's like, there's just no, he can't get past the line like before it closes like you can't but i do i think that i would split the blame evenly amongst the coaching staff and him on this one i think he needs more 
work to get in a rhythm. He also has this kind of very high variance career so far. Well, he'll go one week with 14 and a week with 93 and a week with 20 and a week with 80. Very much up and down for him um, last year and this year of his production um, in any given week. Yeah. But and we I really think, expected a lot more out of him this year than we than yeah, been they, getting. They needed more out of him this year than they've been getting. And so the yeah. offense has kind of been a lot of players just performing underneath where they were expected to. And the coaching staff not putting them in the best scenarios to succeed, I think, has been a combination of that. But let's move now to the defensive side and a bit of an autopsy there. I yeah. think if you want to talk about not being not putting players in a position to succeed, let's get to defense. Yes, let's get to defense. I think the biggest things are it's it's coaching, it's individual play, and it's the front office. It's a nice little trifecta. I think the big things were for me the the number one thing I think was the front office missing on D line investments. Jerron Reed per PFF grades pretty poorly at almost every metric. He's slightly better at pass rush. He has 25 pressures over 13 games, which is 23rd amongst interior D linemen. I think they were really expecting some more from him. I know they kind of didn't get him on a lot of money, but I think they were expecting more than what they got. And then Devontae Wyatt, their other big addition on the interior, first-round pick. You expect him to kind of give you some juice there, especially in in pass rushing situations, especially when Lowry's having a down year, uh, Kenny's having a down year, which I was going to talk about in just a second. But for Wyatt... You're a tw- he's a 24-year-old rookie coming out of the SEC. I think it's fair to say that everyone expected more from him than they've gotten to this point. We also don't even really know if he's any good. He's never played more than 25% of defensive snaps in a game. Never more than one in four. Um, yeah, and they've also and- made these kind of comments about there being reasons why he's not getting on the field that I'm not quite sure what's going on there. Yeah, it's it's really it's hard to know, and none of and all of this poor defensive line play is compounded by the fact that Kenny has probably had his worst year in a while, by far his worst graded year per PFF. Again, it's just one metric, but it's something. And noticeably, what I found interesting is he has had his worst run defense grade by a lot, like by almost fifteen points in their metric, which is like over a standard deviation. I think the two years with Barry. He's had his worst run defense grades of his entire career the past two years, which, you know, kind of tracks. And like you said, in another one of our podcasts, they had him lose some weight the offseason before Barry got there. That was a thing there. Petten liked players to play at sort of their maximum play weight, and Barry preferred to have players slim down and play at a lower weight in general for the— for like the the edge rushers and the and, D-line. And whether it's that or the scheme or not having Zedarius there, he's been worse against the run in the both years there. And so I think the front office trying to get Reed and Wyatt to be contributors and kind of just missing there has really set the defense back because they can't really get pressure or stop the run. And it all starts stops and starts up front in the trenches. And so that was my number one like piece of the autopsy for the defense. What did you have? Yeah, so yeah, what I have are more sort of generals where that's incredibly weak against the run, incredibly soft at giving up, uh, um, especially when players get to the second level. If they get through the D, on the plays they get through the D line, then they're getting way downfield. They're getting through the D yeah, line the on every play. They're like, <laughs> like the, the D line is not making many stops in the backfield. They're getting a few from Slayton and a few from Kenny, but really not a whole lot of impact up there. The other thing that really has 
been bugging me all season is poor communication in the secondary. Yes. Missed assignments. People pointing at each other. You know, cue Spider-Man like, weren't you, here. Weren't you supposed you, to be? You? Weren't you? you wasn't that I didn't have that guy. Th- well, for me, it's the, wasn't that over there? Wasn't that supposed to be over there? What? Over and where? so that's the thing that's been driving me crazy where, and it started with week one. And it got, it's gotten a little better because that was an incredible train wreck where people didn't know who they're supposed to cover. And I think some of it has been this kind of the maddening uh, scheme fit in terms of the the skill the players ha- have that you have on the yeah. on the defense that you haven't actually fit the scheme to the skills. And I this have is the thing down I think right here with, that they're playing they're playing too much off. I have written down right there. It's, I think that's kind of what yeah. you're hinting at a bit. And this is what makes you know coaches great. It's like, I have the scheme and I like the scheme. I think it's good. And you guys are all going to play it because this is my favorite scheme. Or work like that. This yep. is what I've been given to work with. I'm going to make the best defense out of what I have to work with. That's what makes a really great coach. And I, I think, I and think we don't what have I that. have here. What I have here written is Joe Barry arrow pumpkin. Like Joe Perry just turned into a pumpkin this year. Turned, we had a we little bit of midnight. a little bit of Cinderella magic, and then just it's been really bad this year from him. And then I think for me the other thing, uh, the last thing that I have besides D line, and then like you were kind of hinting at, is really soft coverage that doesn't play into the skill level of the skill level and the skill type of your corners. It's just massive regression at the safety position. I mean, Savage. PFF has him with the worst worst grades of his career. He has the worst missed tackle grade uh, tackle rate of his career, um, and he was benched for Rudy Ford, who they signed off the street. And this is a former first round pick we're talking about, whose fifth year option they play they picked up. Amos, on the other hand, has I just think he really fell off a cliff this year. He's just looked a step slow. Um, just per PFF grades, again, they're not everything, but they have him with their lowest grade of his career. By them, they've given up. He's given up an eighty point six percent completion percentage into his coverage this year. It's just been a massive regression from both of them. And honestly, you could maybe say the reason Savage looks so bad is he doesn't have Amos covering up everything for him now. It's well, it's just been idea. bad. He, he, he'd been going downhill ever since Perry got here, really. The end of yeah. uh, 2020, he was looking really good. And then they switched to Barry and a, sort of a different coaching. And he got worse. Yeah. And that's it's, something that and, I'd like to talk about in general is too many players are playing well below their expected level. So far I would below. Say like, like Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl level players are just playing bad football. <laughs> Not even mediocre football. Kenny's playing bad. Rasul's playing bad. Jair's playing bad. Like The only player, I think, on this entire defense who has played up to expectation. Gary. Is Gary. And that's it. One I out would, of yeah. 11 starters. And you know, and then plus your mates. I suppose I, you could say like Keyshawn Nixon and Rudy Ford, guys. Have but guys that above. were not expected to be contributors. The only reason they're doing this is because everyone else is not playing up to snuff. I will say, I would actually like to say that I think Preston Smith has had a really decent year, a solid year. Preston Smith, I would say, has been getting more flack than I think he deserves for his play. I think it's actually been said. You, very I haven't well. even been seeing him getting flack. I've I feel like heard a few people say that at least had bad games, at least recently. That he's had some bad, and I don't. I, I haven't seen that. I think he's actually been playing. You're right. And I would say Preston's thing. playing about about up to expectations. And here's the thing. But when he's you have a number so one, many, but below. also here's the thing with Preston. He's not a number one pass rusher. That's not supposed to be his job. 
He's supposed to yeah. be the number two he's, guy. Like now he's being forced to step into a role that he's that's not his role. That's that, that's Gary's role. And the fact that Gary is gone right. makes it even harder for him. Yes. I mean, he's still playing like the number two guy. Just there's nobody at the number one guy. He's getting all the attention of a number one guy, but that's not really his yes. role. And then we have the, um, but when you have so many players playing below expectation, you have to look to who's in charge of that many players at once. Yes. If it's one player is playing bad, it's, it's the player. If every player is getting worse, it's, it's coaching. It's a hundred percent coaching. And Joe Barry turned into a pumpkin. There's a reason he coordinated the defense of the first 0-16 team ever. Uh, it's it's bad. I, I was fooled. The, he tricked me. As, I would as, like to say as, a little bit more on that, actually. He he really tricked me because I was I I was like, you know, he's coaching the fundamentals well. They're, ta- they're the second-best tackling t- team in the year. He's getting them to rally to the ball. They look like they have a lot of energy on defense. And, like, it felt good. And I was wrong. He tricked me. I was fooled. So I would say, you know, people talk about when they're trying to say whether it's coaching or the players, they'll say, oh, the scheme looks fine. The scheme looks fine. For me, the coaching problem is not, it's part of the scheme, but it's also part of the players say, the don't scheme know what is they're definitely... supposed to be doing. Yeah, exactly. That's the biggest exactly. problem is the players have not been instructed in the scheme what their responsibilities are, and they don't know what they're supposed to do. Who is to blame for that? Yeah, if so many players don't know what their responsibilities are and what they're supposed to be doing, it's still the coaching. Even if it's not yeah. the scheme that's the problem, it's still the coaching that's the problem. The yeah, other thing I like to say about what the, is it? Matt Lafleur likes to year? say all the. Sorry, go. Yeah, Matt, I was going to say Matt Lafleur likes to say all the time. Coach's number one job is a teacher, and if no one is yeah. learning the material you're supposed to teach, like that's if on you. If you're a teacher and one student fails, you can say it's a student. If you're a teacher. And 99% of your students fail. That's on you. You're failing as a teacher. Yes. That's who's failing. But anyway, you were going to say about decision-making? Well, this... um, The plan for the year about how... Well, it's going to take the offense a little while to get together. You get the offensive line back and healthy and, and working. Get the new receivers up to speed and have the offense go in the second half and the defense carry them. I think there was a little bit of fool's gold in how good people thought this defense was based on one game, the playoff game against the Niners, where they looked fantastic against that game. But that was a also a bad weather game against Jimmy G. Yeah. And yes, the defense looked great in that game. But for the season, they weren't a great defense. They were maybe a middle, middle of pack defense. Yeah. But not it a great. Felt, I will say it felt better than their DVOA said. I yes, felt like they so just DVO- kind of they just kind of snoozed some. They just fell asleep sometimes. Is what it felt like. Like that Ravens game yeah. or that Washington game. They just kind of fell asleep. But I don't know. But you have they to remember also had in that, a habit in that of playing in that down 49ers the game. Well, yeah, and ex- yes, exactly. They like I said, they just fell asleep. But in that 49ers game, you got four really good pass rushers. Like Z is playing, Whitney Merciless is playing, Gary's playing, and Preston Smith is playing. And you have all of your, like, you have a stupidly stacked roster in that game. Yeah, we are missing the Whitney Merciless this year. He was he was so good last year. I would have that, loved that we for needed, him to come back. We needed a player like that. I mean, we were basically down two edge rushers. Well, t- from that playoff game, we were down two edge rushers. For most of yeah. the year. Um, down one. Compared to, actually, compared to, actually, compared to that playoff game, sorry. 
we're down three edge rushers compared to that playoff game. With Gary um, out now, yeah. With Gary out now. And but if yeah, we and had I think... a, a Whitney Merciless-style player, or if we could have gotten Whitney Merciless not to retire yet, that would have made a big difference this year on their yeah. edge rusher depth. But here's the thing. I have, just like, as we're kind of wrapping this podcast up, and we're going to hit our wish list for the rest of the year really quickly, just so we're not keeping you here too long. Thanks again for sticking with us through all this. We know you love to hear us rant and rave. Anyway, but I think the the big overarching issue is the vision for this team. It's 2022. Why are you taking all of these resources out of the offense, all of this money out of the offense, and siphoning it all into the defense? That's not how football games are won in this decade. It the is rules all about offense first. It's The rules have been changed to make this an offensive game. Yes, and they're stuck like building through the defense, taking essentially Devontae Adams and their other first round, like turning, I know they got Watson sort of out of those picks, but essentially taking the money they had for Devontae Adams and MVS and giving it to Campbell and Rasul Douglas and Jerron Reed and putting first round picks to Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt and these guys don't pan out, and defense is really volatile. It's super not sticky from year to year. Everyone will tell you it's not consistent. Defense is not something you can have one year and say for certain you're going to have the next year. It's it's all over the place. Offense is sticky from year to year. And to decide that you're going to go defense first, I mean, it just seems like a flawed plan when you're looking at how all these other teams are running their rosters. Like, I don't care how good a defense you have. You're not going to stop Patrick Mahomes. I don't care how good a defense you have. You're not going to stop Josh Allen. It doesn't matter. You need to score with these teams and to take so many resources out of the offense and put into defense, especially in hindsight, just seems like what, like, why was that the plan? Why was that even the plan to begin with? God, I wish they made that AJ Brown trade. Probably couldn't have gotten it done. Yes. Still. I would have given two picks for him. Yeah, to beat the, I mean, to beat to uh, get ahead of uh, the the Eagles pick. If Philly got sent back in time and they were like, "Oh, we're going to need two picks for that now," I know Philly still hits that button. They're like, "Oh, sure, That's oh, yeah, it's, still. yeah, completely transform yeah. their offense." Exactly, it's completely transformed their offense, but. That's kind of wrapping up our autopsy for this season. A lot has gone wrong from top to bottom, from the front office to the coaches to the players. And we're not dead yet, like we said in the beginning. We're still there as long as we went out. But it's going to take some help. And I think they're even if it they do somehow sneak in the playoffs, it's important not to ignore all of the flaws in this team. But, Dad, it's the holiday season. Nothing better than a little Christmas-slash-holiday wish list for the rest of the year. I kind of wanted to do this so we ended on a little bit of a higher note since we were going to rip the Packers for about an hour here. What are you in this holiday season, this giving season, wishing for from the Packers? What's on your little letter to Santa? What what do you want to see from the Packers the rest of the way? I'm asked for for what I'm asking for Santa this year. I'm I'm asking to make the playoffs. If you want to look at my my real wish, that's my biggest wish. That if once you make the playoffs, then anything could happen. Um, And then it kind of. No, no, no. I'd like to see um, the rest of the season, Dobbs and Watson acting as the top two receivers for the rest of the year. I want to see yes. what that looks like. I think that'll be really and fun to see. I think it's just that would just be make watching football, make watching Green Bay Packer football more fun if they're the two guys the rest of the way. Yep. And I want to see more snaps of 
Kenny Clark, Wyatt, and Slayton be the three down linemen. Yeah, I want to see what no... that looks like. As possibly the the defensive line of the future, I want to see what that looks like now with the three of them lining up together as the, as the primary defensive line group. And are those those your? Do you have any more wishes, or should I go to mine? I have some small things. Like, I want to see more, maybe, experiment. Especially after these are the little, the little stocking like, stuffers? Is that what these are? The, like, the, the, let's see. They they talk about, well, maybe Rasul should be the safety of the future. Try it now. Find out, yeah. especially after you're eliminated. See how he looks at safety and, like, say, Savage is back from his injury. Put him at the slot and put Rasul at safety with Ford. I think Possibly that might even. actually... I think that's a very interesting idea because none, in my opinion, it seems like none of Rasul... Stokes or Jair can really play the slot. Savage has been okay in the slot and terrible at safety. You're stuck with him anyways. Got to find a way to make it work. Right. I want to see some reps of Ford Ford and Rasul as the two safeties on the field and see what happens. To see what Um, happens. I mean, that's going to be problems with not having a whole lot of speed on the back end. I know Ford's kind of fast, but I feel like he gets beat sometimes over the top. Um, For me, for my wish list, please, Santa, I want to see Jordan Love start one game. I know Gudikin said he's seen enough to decide on the option. It sounds like he's going to be a yes. I, I just but, want to see But we it. haven't. We haven't seen enough it would yet. Be, it would be really fun to watch him play if he's good. I, if he's good, I imagine. I would like, Santa, let me amend my wish. I want to watch him play <laughs> and start, and I want to watch him play good. Uh, because it would just be fun to see. Um, I want to see Wyatt get more snaps. He's a first-round pick. There's the D line is playing terribly. It can't be any worse. It really can't. I would just like to see him unless you're already all the way out on him, which would be a real indictment of your drafting. Cause he's 24 years old. I would like to see him. You can't have a first rounder at a weak position group, just not playing. You need to know if you need to hit that position group again. Cause I would say D line has been one of the biggest problems this year. And it's not out of the question that they go D- interior D line again in the top and with their first overall pick, uh, not first overall, with their first round pick uh, this coming year. And then my last wish is I want to see Enigbare have like one big kind of like nice statement game to show that, hey, if need be, I can be the second pass rusher for this team in 2023. And just to see like, hey, just going to end the, the year on a strong note and show that I'm yes. a valuable rotation piece. Because the pass rush is going to be kind of, it's been a problem this year. I think it's going to be a problem next year. It's somewhere they need to invest in the draft. But it would be really helpful if Anangbari had a solid end of the year and had one big kind of closeout. They get going out with three a sack game, three sack game for Anangbari. Why not? You know, why not? If I'm if I'm asking Santa, I might as well ask for the moon. You know, you ask for them to make the playoffs. This seems this seems less unrealistic. <laughs> that's not a moon. That's I'm asking for like a planet. Exactly. That's no that's no moon. Um, that's no moon. But anyway, that's kind of all we had. Dad, did you have anything you wanted to add before we wrap up here? I think that's good enough. <laughs> I think I've, I think I've added uh, I, think, I think we've gone deep enough into this dive. Yes. Thanks so much uh, for joining us during this bye week. The Packers have the week off, but we don't. We'll always be here. And we'll be doing our pregames and postgames the rest of the year as well. So come check us out. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon. You can come find us on YouTube and subscribe there. It would really help our numbers, Father Son Packers Podcast on YouTube. And then if you like all of that, come follow us on Twitter, at Father Son Packer. We tweet when there's new uh, Packers news. News, Packers injury reports, uh, any articles that we find interesting, videos related to the Packers we find interesting, and when we have new episodes out. So come give us a follow. We'd really appreciate it. But, Dad, until next time, go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.